Hello, it's Wednesday the 12th of July. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I've joined the Orca Attack Force. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we treat the UK press like a member of the family. So we sit around a table, making jokes about it, while relentlessly pointing out all its faults. But we also celebrate the good bits, the top stories, the in-depth reporting and the times when the papers get it right. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Surprise! BBC in crisis again. Three more young people say that the unnamed TV presenter was in touch with them. Is it all the BBC's fault? There is still no magic money tree. Jeremy Hunt says the Treasury won't fund any public sector pay awards. And pretty in pink. With the new Barbie film about to be released, we're all Barbie girls in a Barbie world. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we clarify the clickbait and flesh out the scoops. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to join me in ripping through our recycling pile, it's historian and writer Alex von Tunzelman. Hello, Alex. Hello, good morning. And here too is comedian and ever-tense cricket fan, Fergus Craig. Hello, Fergus. Hi, guys. (laughs) So what have we got on the front pages today? What have you got, Alex? Well, um, a bit of a BBC sweep. We've got The Sun uh, sticking by its story. We've now gotten into shock new developments. BBC star broke lockdown to meet another young stranger. Um, The iPaper is also going in on that. BBC presenter accused of sending abusive messages to second person. Um, Although we do immediately find out below that young person claims they were sent abusive messages by BBC star after they hinted they might reveal his identity. Um, which will happen. Um, (laughs) And the Daily Telegraph going with BBC sex scandal presenter faces new allegation. Okay, bit of a theme, we feel. Um, Fergus, is there anything different? What do you have? There is. I've got the Daily Mail. uh, Chinese spy at the heart of Parliament, which I'm sure is nothing to worry about. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's the summer, so of course that means it's time for the release of Boris Johnson's next child. They've got uh, a boy for Boris, meet Frank Alfred Odysseus Johnson. But in the mirror, they've uh, got a different take on that story, which is Johnson welcomes child number nine, 10, 22. Uh, uh, The Guardian have no extra cash for pay in the public sector, warns Hunt. And the Daily Star have unsurprisingly gone with something different. Um, Klingon, 500 thousand miles per hour Star Trek style spaceship could cut flight to Mars to just 30 days. Thank God for that. I mean, I was waiting for that, weren't you? I mean, you know, now I'll definitely go. I'm going to wait till they get it down to 20 days. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, Still making the headlines is the story we covered on Monday about the unnamed BBC presenter, his allegedly inappropriate relationships with younger people and the BBC not investigating this properly. This all comes out of the Sun story last Friday where the family of one young person complained about the presenter's relationship with their child and said that the presenter had paid the young person £35,000. But since then there have been developments. First... Said young person said there was nothing inappropriate about the relationship and the family was wrong to complain, which seemed to let the BBC off the hook. But then after that, three more people have come forward. One in their early 20s says that they got threatening texts from the presenter after the young person said they might reveal that they'd been in touch. 
Mm. Um, that went straight to the BBC, that complaint on Monday evening. But then to, in today's Sun, another young person, so this is number three, has said that the presenter met up with them whilst COVID restrictions were in place. They had a cup of tea. Um, they too were in their <laughs> early 20s and the presenter also allegedly paid them money. Also in the Sun, another young person, number four, said that the presenter sent them creepy messages, including heart emojis and kisses when they were 17. We have all the details now. There are mo- no more details, obviously, due to privacy laws, but also that's it. Alex, this is a story that's obviously kind of titillating, but also that's morphing all over the place, isn't it? I mean, it's just going everywhere. Shall we start with the sun? It seems like this, these t- stories about the two young people... They're the the sun kind of fighting back, aren't they? Yes. I mean, they're digging in after, as you say, we had um, this news break that the young person at the centre of the original allegations was basically denying the whole lot and saying there was no illegality. Um, Rather than backing down, the sun has dug in and gone deeper. So, I mean, I suppose what they're probably looking for here is some sort of illegality. Because, of course, when we had, you know, the original allegations suggested that there were illicit pictures taken or something like this which would have been illegal yeah if they if they were 17 if they were 17 mm. uh, that allegation now seems to have been rowed back that's kind of gone so now they're going big on the idea that the bbc star broke lockdown which i guess would be a point of illegality. <laughs> Although we um, could make a comparison with various other people that broke lockdown that they seemed to let off the hook, yes. i.e. Boris Johnson and indeed themselves. I mean, quite. So, you know, this seems like pretty thin gruel. And, you know, you sort of flick through. I mean, and there's pages and pages of this. I mean, you yeah. know, it, it's it's double page spreads throughout the beginning of the paper. But, I mean, some of it is pretty weak. I mean, so we've got, you know, presenter and pupil 17 you know, with sort of flashlines like star sent heart emoji out of blue. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's not illegal. I mean, you no, can send a heart emoji. It's um, not. I mean, it's, it seems fairly obvious that the sun is A, digging in and B, as ever, aiming for the BBC. Absolutely. I mean, that's what this is all really about. And you can see that because all the background pictures are the sort of, you know, I mean, I guess they obviously cannot identify the presenter. But of course, the BBC are the BBC offices. The BBC is the thing that can be identified here. Exactly. Um, why does the Sun hate the BBC? Well, this is a very long, ongoing issue. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, obviously the proprietor of the Sun, has long wanted to break what he sees as a sort of BBC monopoly on news. Right? You know, you've got this um, publicly funded broadcaster, which, when the internet started, also turned into a publisher, which particularly irked the, those who don't like the BBC. Um, and really, you know what. Um, these corporations want who run the kind of independent media is to um, you know not have that sort of competition because they feel that it being publicly funded having a website covering news all of this kind of stuff gets onto their patch yes and also it's kind of it's respected and uh, it's respected and so there's been a a long-standing campaign really it seems to kind of disrespect the BBC to, to, to um, make it seem less reliable. And of course, you know, the tabloids generally are anti-liberal elite, which is um, the BBC. I mean, that supposedly comes into it too, although really, you know, I mean, if anyone knows the BBC particularly well, that's quite debatable. Yeah. Um, but are, yeah. There, are there any papers on the BBC's side? Uh, so yeah, there are a couple of papers who, I mean, 
I think on the BBC's side is probably pushing it, but who are at least providing a bit more critical perspective and they are uh, The Guardian and The Eye in particular, um, you know, who are kind of saying, what are the questions about the coverage of this? They're kind of zooming out a bit and looking at, you know, so in The Guardian, for instance, they're zooming out and looking at what are the questions for The Sun over these allegations? You know, did they know, for instance, that the original young person denied that anything had happened? Yeah, did they approach the original young person? Seems to be the fundamental... um, These sorts of questions. Exactly. Yeah. The, th- the thing I find really weird about this is it seems to me that the BBC, as much as the tabloids, is kind of fueling the story. So I was listening to Five Live yesterday, listening to Wimbledon coverage, and, you know, they broke into <laughs> the Wimbledon coverage to tell us that the presenter had sent an abusive text message to someone who threatened to out him. And I kind of thought, is this that important? I mean, you know, I was very into Wimbledon, but, you know, it just didn't seem like that. It seems to me that the the, the kind of institution itself is fueling the story as much as the tabloids. Yeah, it's another opportunity for the BBC to do the funniest thing that it does, which is ask one of its journalists to pop outside (laughs) and uh, do a broadcast from outside the BBC to talk about the BBC. We can talk about them, but we have to leave the building to do it. As far as I can see, all the story really is 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 a story as old as time, which is a um, middle-aged man makes ill-judged, penis-led decision. <laughs> <laughs> which is, like as you said, like titillating and it's gossip and all of us immediately, as soon as it came out, wanted to know who it was. It's interesting. But if, for it to be something that will bring down the BBC, I don't understand what the BBC have to do with it. In April, the parents went to the police. The police said there's no illegality. Then the parents in May went to the BBC. The BBC said... Well, the BBC tried to get in touch with them, actually. So the BBC emailed them and got no response and then phoned them and also got no response. So so it was a bit difficult for the BBC to kind of carry it on, especially because there wasn't any illegality kind of mentioned. I feel like as soon as there's... No obvious illegality. I I don't understand what the BBC is supposed to do. It's this sort of moral panic thing. I like. I think for the BBC to get into that, it would be set a really terrifying precedent. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you get to the point in the story where you're saying, you know, this presenter has sent heart emojis <laughs> to people. Um, what, how is the BBC supposed to know that? These are private messages on things like WhatsApp. How is the BBC supposed to know what yeah. emojis its presenters send to random people online? If, it's... if that's controversial, then my aunties are in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Who would they be sending heart emojis to? Oh, I don't know. I, underneath my Facebook posts. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the slow newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the new Barbie film starring Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken is out soon, a week on Friday, and the papers have gone Barbie mad. 
On the front of the eye and the Times and pretty much in every paper for about a week, a splash of bright pink has announced a Barbie-linked fashion feature, whether it's, I used to hate pink, but now I love it, or, hey, fellas, pink is for you too. Um, The Barbie fashion angle seems to be everywhere. The Telegraph had a feature yesterday with the headline, Margot Robbie's astonishing mission to dress exactly like Barbie. Mission seems a little bit much. Um, It's possibly, you know, part of her you know, part of the job that she has to do <laughs> with... Anyway, there's some great pictures of Margot Robbie at various premieres in outfits that reference classic Barbie looks. That feature has already, I have to say, been in vogue, BuzzFeed everywhere, to be honest. Uh, Fergus, do you, you love the Barbie frenzy? Oh, I am wild about it. It's the most successful marketing campaign ever. <laughs> They've managed to commandeer a colour. Now, anytime anyone wears anything pink, it's promoting the film. Yeah, so, I mean, they have done. I mean, literally, Barbie used to do that. They once painted an, an entire kind of northern terrace pink. I remember seeing the pictures. So, I mean, it is kind of part of Mattel owns Barbie. It's part of kind of Mattel's approach to they've like literally that that is their pink. I mean, I'd like to see the film. It seems like the, this is what happens with films now is that the trailers come out. They're marketed so much before the film comes out and everyone discusses it on social media. So before anyone's seen the film, it's been decided whether we like it or we don't, whether we want to see it or we don't. That's it. So there's no need to actually watch the films. Barbie's one. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, on my local, in my local cinema, they're having a Barbie dress-up night. So to launch it on Fridays. The the Picturehouse cinemas are doing double bills of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer. Um, and if they're actually doing it with uh, themed cocktails, if you want a Barbie cocktail and an Oppenheimer cocktail. So that's the way to go. Actually, probably the other way around. Maybe start with Oppenheimer, eat your vegetables first, then into Barbie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I wonder about the cocktail from Oppenheimer as well. I mean, you know, prefer, you might not survive. I prefer Boppenheimer. <laughs> I think it, it it's revealing of just how grim everything is in the world now. <laughs> yeah. everyone's just so thirsty for something joyous that they've gone pink great okay Barbie yes exactly and also Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling which you know kind of appealed to a lot of people I would say why do you think some films are deemed fashion Alex and some are not well I mean you know it's this kind of style and the impact and I mean film and fashion have been you know, intimately related since the beginning, really. But yeah, I mean, this kind of viral marketing and everything goes back a long way. I mean, you know, you can look at even the origins in the 1960s. The film Psycho had a very viral marketing campaign with Alfred Hitchcock leading that personally, um, you know, which was all about not revealing the ending and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but really, this kind of thing that we're seeing with Barbie, I think, really kicked into a high gear in the 70s when they could start making plastic tat to sell to children. <laughs> so, you know, Star Wars, Jaws... E.T., absolutely massive. There were so many plastic E.T.s around at that time. And then, you know, really into, I think, you know, the absolute behemoth of all of this was 1989's Batman. Uh, Marketing campaign started about a year before the film came out. And they also commandeered colours. Black and yellow were absolutely commandeered as the Batman colours. I could sing the song, but I'm not going to do it because it's embarrassing. But you could, but there's two whole soundtrack albums, one by Prince. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. It's pretty good, actually. But it's weird this time around because, you know, you're talking about plastic tack. The plastic tack already exists. Like, you know, there's Barbie dolls. The film is based on Barbie dolls, and then there'll be Barbie dolls based on the Barbie film. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Kids are going to have so much plastic tat. Landfill yeah. is is filling up with this stuff. Uh, um, I have to say, as uh, somebody who's got a daughter who's now older, she did used to watch a lot of the, this Barbie kind of mini animations that are everywhere, and I was really resentful of them because I just thought, oh, God, Barbie is a bit rubbish. But when you watched them, they were always quite funny. They were always 
pretty all right. And so I think it's quite clever. You know, it's quite a clever thing because the doll itself, you could kind of take the mickey out of of being anti-feminist. You know, she can't walk in flat shoes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But actually, there's always been a bit of wit around it. And that's what people are responding to, really. Everything's sort of layered in irony now, isn't it? Mm. So we sort of like it's post, post, post modern, right? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah. Does that sound clever? It does sound clever, Fergus. <laughs> you're really clever. But I notice you're not, you're not wearing pink. I'm do not you feel pink, which do is you, a statement. <laughs> do you feel liberated enough by the Barbie film to now wear pink? I've, I'm, it may shock you to know, but I did wear pink before the Barbie film. What? Uh, I had a pair of pink shorts, which were a favourite a few years ago. I think I've you always been prob- confident enough in you- my own sexuality to wear pink I mean I actually believe you could probably write an article about that because that's literally what everybody has been writing about I did I used to be scared of pink and now I'm not or I was always a fan of pink I mean you know you could get 500 words out of that to be honest I'd like to think that this is we're now reaching the last point in history where pink writing an article about whether (laughs) men can wear pink (laughs) is an interesting thing I think that, that might be over it's, now. Well, it's the front page of the Times today, uh, trailed on the front page at least, and then inside in great detail with many pictures of pink-wearing men. Um, I mean, from a historical perspective, sort of hilarious because pink, of course, was the hunting colour and was considered a highly masculine colour, at least up until kind of the early 20th century till about the 1950s. And yeah, till, till, actually till around Barbie, to yeah. be honest. I mean, Barbie made pink girly. There you go. Now, here at Papercuts, we love a well-turned headline. Something short and snappy, clipped and clever, and in the case of the star, something that uses the word boffins. What do we have today, Fergus? What have you got? It's not the best day for headlines, uh, but there's uh, a story in the Daily Star, which is the best place to go for good headlines, usually. Uh, Apparently, we're going to be getting a lot more eggs from Mexico for some reason, which I can't be bothered to read. (laughs) And um, the headline is, Mexico... Very good. And the it's egg is fine, it, isn't it? It's picked out in red, just so in case you didn't get the joke. It's fine. And then um, another pun. Um, Nigella says, do twiglets as a starter, a uh, next twig thing. I mean, I'd just like to apologise. <laughs> <laughs> it's not up to their usual standards. <laughs> OK, Alex, what have you got? I've got a pair of them in the Daily Mirror. Um, so we've got a story about... Uh, the former Channel 4 renovation stars Dick and Angel, um, who uh, did this sort of Escape to the Chateau series, uh, but then that show was canned. Um, and apparently in the last year, they've almost doubled their fortune. We've got the slightly wonky headline, Chateau will do nicely. Okay. You have to sort of try and pronounce that. Chateau will do nicely yeah. for it yeah. to work. A bit weird. quite work. Um, but, you know, we're trying. Um, and then we also have in the mirror uh, a story about how um, most of us, even as adults over 30s, we still love kids' games, doing jigsaws and colouring in and sort of general child activities with the headline, We Just Can't Let Go. Oh, that's actually the best that's one. That's better, isn't well it? Well done, the mirror. Now, The Guardian's main story today is about public sector pay rises. Essentially, this is the story. Jeremy Hunt has said to Number 10, I don't care what pay awards you decide are OK for the public sector. The Treasury won't pay for them. So cabinet ministers can kind of agree to award teachers or nurses or train workers 6%, 10%, whatever they like. 
but there won't be any extra money available to pay for those pay rises, so the departments will have to find the money through cuts. Alex, let's talk about this. It's a bit glum, isn't it? I mean, it's not it's not the, the, the most wonderful story. Not really the sunlit uplands, is it? No, I mean, it's definitely a very grim story. Um, and it looks like there's a bit of a political clash on the way over this, even inside the Conservative Party, if you read The Guardian's story. So what we've had is the review bodies for various public sector uh, sectors, teachers, police, you know, hospital workers, so forth, recommending these pay rises between about five and six and a half percent. And as you say, Jeremy Hunt pretty much saying, well, there is no more cash. So bad luck on that. But we can also see in the story, if you keep reading down, that we've had some cabinet ministers really resisting that. So Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, Steve Barclay, Health Secretary, Ben Wallace, Defence Secretary, Alex Chalk, Justice Secretary, and even Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, all pushing back and saying that Rishi Sunak does need to back these review bodies and accept these pay rises. Sunak has kind of been pretty cool on that so far, kind of kept expectations low. Obviously, they're all talking about inflation happening. But at the same time, when we look at the recommendations uh, for public sector pay rises, which are looking like between about 5% and 6.5%, well, we also have the statistic in this Guardian story that private sector wage growth has increased to 7.6%. So that's considerably higher than any of these public sector pay rises that you might compare it to. So, you know, if you're not going to be able to do anything about that, which of course you can't, because private sector will, as Sunak says, do what they want, um, Um, It's not clear how the public sector alone can be expected to control inflation through wage restraint. Well, exactly. And you can't can't really address that. You can't say to private sectors, I'm really sorry, you can't lift your wages. It's ridiculous. I mean, the thing that's... There's two aspects about this that are kind of interesting. One is the actual fact that people need the the pay rises. That's just a fact. People need the pay rises. So, you know, all this waffle about how it can't be afforded, they kind of don't want to hear it. They just want the pay. You know, that's, that's... the first factor. And the second one is really the idea that kind of Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt, they're meant to be the kind of boring, stable blokes that made everything calm down after Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and all the money was meant to calm down and it was all going to be fine, dull, but fine. And that has not happened. Yeah. That's kind of a big problem. And actually, because The Guardian has doubled this up, so the story both on the front page and then continued inside on page two is positioned alongside story from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, saying that UK mortgage payers have to brace for even higher rates for those going up and up and up. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you think that pay rises are expensive, try not having one. It's possibly what we're going to say here. Um, And it does seem that there's some sort of clash coming up potentially between the sensible suit guys, between Sunak and Hunt, that they are on a bit of a collision course here. You know, are they going to agree with each other and back each other up on this or is Sunak going to be swayed by the rest of his cabinet? Yeah, I mean, he has been asked, Sunak, and he has said that he doesn't believe people in the public sector deserve less than people in the private sector. So... Seven and a half percent for everyone then. Yeah, well, exactly. It's the same old thing, though, isn't it? The Chancellor is always, that's what their roles, isn't it? The Chancellor is always saying, no, you can't have the money. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah, but I once saw Jeremy Hunt in a cheese shop in Liverpool Street Station and he was not careful with money there. (laughs) 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 That's my uh, scoop. He was extravagant with his cheese choices. Is that what you're saying? I feel like the papers are quite bad at explaining, or the media in general, are quite bad at explaining how this is all supposed to work. Because I've been sort of consuming news addictively since the 1992 general election. 
and I got a crush on Virginia Bottomley. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it only took until about last year when I understood why interest rate rises are supposed to bring down inflation, right? Yeah. I'm probably going to say it now, and you're going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but the idea is that, like, it means that it's harder to get money. Money is more expensive if interest rates are higher, and that will bring down demand because people will spend less. Yeah, exactly. But, it just says that you, you will be skinter. But it seems like it doesn't... I mean, here's my... Would you like some economic analysis from me? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> but it seems like this situation from the outside seems completely different to normal because it's not like people have too much money at the moment. That doesn't seem to be the problem. And it seems like interest rates are sort of putting up inflation as well because if your mortgage is going up, is that not inflation yeah. as well? Yeah, it, I mean, it just seems that, 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 that essentially they have one method. Their idea is that if you bring down wages, inflation will, will stop going up. I mean, literally, the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, has said this is what needs to be done, wage restraint to stop inflation. But to anybody you know who doesn't work in the city, this seems absolutely outrageous. So you, Mr. Rich Guy, is saying that we can't have any wage wage increase because it'll make inflation go up. That's just ludicrous. Yeah, got to do something though, haven't they? <laughs> sure, it'll be all right. We'll be fine, won't we? <laughs> got a podcast. <laughs> Now it's time for the fun part of the papers, the jolly middle bit with stories of strange animals, stranger trends and even stranger true life confessions from columnists stuck for something to write about this week. Alex, what have you got? Well, uh, page three of The Guardian, we have the story that Morrissey has urged Jet 2 holidays to cut links with Orca marine parks. So um, this story is about, it's sort of a fascinating confluence of many different things that uh, that obsess The Guardian, such as Morrissey and Orcas. And, and, uh, <laughs> and Jet 2 holidays. And Jet 2 holidays, apparently. Um, so... It's sort of, you have to kind of unpick this story quite extensively. So, I mean, there are these uh, marine parks, as many people know, with kind of orcas or bottlenose dolphins. Maurice is also very worried about those um, being kept in possibly cramped conditions, not very natural, not like they should be And outside. they have to perform all they the time, don't they? silly tricks, all of this. So quite understandably, I think quite a lot of animal welfare people have a fairly big problem with these things generally. I'm not sure why Morrissey, um, noted animal welfare expert, is leading the charge. But on the other hand, unusually, I do find myself agreeing with Morrissey that the, these are probably not ideal. Um, I don't agree with Morrissey on an awful lot of his other recently expressed opinions, shall we say, but uh, but this one does seem quite reasonable. But yes, particularly seems to have gone in on Jet 2 holidays, I mean, which um, seems to be sort of quite specific because this particular holiday company apparently sells tickets to the orca shows or whatever they are. Um, I think quite a lot of other people do too. I'm not sure why that's been singled out. But anyway, you know, this this is the story. Um, and the story is that he wants the captive orcas, the beach ball orcas, to be set free, 
presumably so they can join the orca attack force that is already out there and bump stray yachts for fun, right? Well, once again, I find myself in favour. I mean, we've all been <laughs> loving the orcas, you know, going around sinking those billionaire yachts all summer. Um, so may they continue. I obviously, hope no one gets hurt. But, sorry, you know... sorry, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. okay, let's do some so, context. So the, there are there have been several stories about orcas and what they have been doing is in, in sunnier waters, so they have been kind of bumping up against boats and trying to knock them over and they can't work out <laughs> if they're actually playing or if they're... Trying they're to wo- shag them. <laughs> but also there was some kind of... There was an original story where they thought they were really cross with them because um, a female orca had been like annoyed by a particular ship and she was like leading the charge of the other orcas onto a- any similar vessel. But the other fact is that the orca, one orca, has strayed right up to the Shetland Isles in order to do this. So some poor guy had gone out fishing on the <laughs> and this orca tried to kind of, you know, knock his boat over as well. So right. the orcas are fighting back. That's the story that we like. Right. And what does Johnny Marr have to say about it? <laughs> <laughs> We're not sure. It's learned behaviour by the orcas, so they're all doing it as a group and they are led, as Miranda says, by the ringleader is a female orca called White Gladys who particularly um, <laughs> took against Game of Thrones Very White Game of Thrones. Gladys. Um, and they've learnt to just bite off the rudder the whole kind of boat, you know, the whole thing kind of goes down. It's very impressive. I mean, it's really specific and really targeted and they're teaching each other. So, yes, this behaviour is spreading. Um, so, the orcas have had enough of, of our boat nonsense. Yeah, so all so the cruises respect- are going down, man. Right. This is the start of something. Yes, isn't it? that's what we, so we hope. Yeah, so that we, got, we spent all this time thinking about climate change and it turns out we took our eye off the ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the orcas. And exactly. thanks to The Guardian, we know what side Morrissey's on. Yeah, and I, for one... You know, um, I'm very happy about our new fishy overlords. Right, Fergus, what do you have? You've got an odd story, right, in the Times. I think it's not elsewhere, but in the Times. Uh, yeah, the headline is Killer Uses Strava to Shoot Russian Subcommander. Basically, some Russian war general type person uh, went for a run on Strava was regularly doing that, uh, thereby revealing his location, and uh, an assassin took him out. And uh, apparently this is not the first time that people using Strava has uh, caused problems. Uh, Apparently some people have revealed military bases uh, just by putting in the details of their Strava runs. Uh, There was one, uh, race to the home of the UK submarine service. Uh, which doesn't seem very discreet. I, I'm hoping this will stop people putting their Strava runs on social media. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, in case they get assassinated. Yes. <laughs> if, if, if if this doesn't stop joggers announcing their fucking jocks, <laughs> then, then nothing will. And what will? I mean, you do get slightly the feeling about this that Putin, who's obviously a notoriously fitness freak, he might he might be found just by kind of logging his details into some kind of fitness app and then, you know, we'll find him. We'll put, put his location on Snapchat. Who knows? If we can persuade... Strava's got running and cycling. If we can persuade them to include judo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bear wrestling. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Fergus. Thank you. 
And thanks to Alex. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then leave us five stars on Spotify or Apple, plus a much better than Rory Stewart review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, Fix the Headline, our new competition. If you follow our Twitter and threads, um, then you'll see this week's story with a rubbish headline that you can improve. And you might win a fabulous exclusive Papercuts t-shirt. Woohoo! Woohoo! I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when scientists have discovered that for many people the pain of not knowing trivial information is worse than having a painful heated device put on their arm. Which is why Papercuts exists. See you next time.